Good evening, everyone. <laughs> awesome to have you all here. It's good to be here. It's been an awesome series, hey. I don't know if I'm just totally naive to say that eternity has hinged on our ability to hear and to receive the words that have been spoken through this series, this community, what we hear day in, day out, through messages, through discipleship groups. But there really is an eternal weight that rests on the ability to hear and receive the living word of God. And here in this community, people are receiving, people are changing, people, when I say people, we, we aren't the same people that we were one, three, five, ten years ago, we're, we're changing, we're adapting, and we're entering into a kind of glory that I certainly had never anticipated we would ever know. It's Christ within us. It's his substance. It's his nature. It's him as a person being formed within our hearts. As we become the divine representations of Christ here on the earth. And so this evening, this passage has captivated me over the last few days. And to be honest, I've actually enjoyed the preparation for tonight. <laughs> You know, sometimes standing up here in the pulpit is certainly not as glamorous as people give it credit for. To be honest, for me, I have a love-hate relationship with, with the pulpit. Sometimes it's almost like I'm translated into the third heaven up into glory, and it's almost like God has come down in power, and he's, you know... And then other times I feel like a nervous wreck. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like shaking so much beforehand. I was, Rochelle came up to me and she said, do you want a handheld or a, you know, one of those um, Britney Spears mics? And I said, definitely the handheld because I can't stop shaking. <laughs> you know, like, but rega regardless, I certainly feel like over the last number of years, God has begun more and more to trump my personality. And for those who don't know me, I'm not really the extroverted, outgoing, talkative, bubbly. Those are not words that use that my friends and relatives would use to describe me. And yet, the more that I've entered into a living relationship with Christ, something within me has motivated me beyond how I would normally operate. And it's not just here in the pulpit, it's day in, day out. It's how I treat Tess when no one else is looking. It's how I father Levi. It's how I prepare in my lunch breaks for discipleship group. It's, it's the whole package. And if it's not a whole, it's nothing. And so I feel like I am a son of this house. I, not just a son. I, I'm a son in the sense that I've grown up here. I've been here for 13, maybe coming close to 14 years now. But that's not what makes me a son. A, a son is not about physically being in a location. A son is that we embody the very characteristics, the very values that this house stands for, this house being us, a people, the church of God. And so I'm a son of the house because I've been discipled, I've been mentored, I've grown 
ultimately by the father of fathers, but often it's been administered through the people I've had the privilege to work to walk with, Greg and Kirk and Paul and, and, and all the others. And so I've, I've become something through receiving what God is bringing here. And I know many of you are the same. So today or tonight, we're going to be looking at this powerful verse. So if you get your Bibles, open up. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1. We're smashing this book. We're up to chapter 5. We thought it might take us a whole year after the first couple of weeks, but we're, we're on a roll. <laughs> I'm just going to back up the truck a bit tonight. All of the, No, no, not, not go back. So I'm just going to put the brakes on. And this, is, this is one of those scriptures, you know, Paul in, in Ephesians chapter 4 has been going hard, you know, like, and, and in the first number of chapters, it's, it's so big picture. It's almost lofty. He's, going, he's talking about this heavenly, invisible realm that the church are called to make a demonstration to. And then in chapter 4, he goes and starts kind of saying what this looks like in everyday practical life. And it's almost like there's a list of do's and don'ts. I remember when I was growing up, there was this um, cheesy Christian magazine and uh, there was this little section, and each month the section had this part called the do's and the don'ts. <laughs> and so it'd have things like, do, honor your parents. Don't talk about people behind their backs. You know, you know, that sort of thing. And I would always flick to the section because I was like, man, finally I can understand something in this thing, you know, <laughs> being told what to do and what not to do. I, I really, I, I got that. But it's almost like Paul, in the first few chapters, He's talking about the big picture. He's talking about this high lofty purpose of God. And then in Ephesians chapter 4 that we heard from Sandra last week, he says, it's almost like, um, you know, he's telling us things like, lay aside falsehood, you know, don't get angry if your neighbors, righty, righty, rah. And then in chapter 5, it's almost like he's like, yeah, put, the, put the brakes back on. Let's just, let's just reset our view for what this is all about. Because as soon as you start hearing do and don'ts, then you completely miss the heartbeat of a God whose ultimate intention is not don't, but enter into a life that is in Christ. And so that's where we get to Ephesians chapter 5. I'll just start reading it out. It's only short. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up, whoa, and gave himself up as an offering and a sacrifice to God, as a fragrant aroma. Whoa. <laughs> Therefore, be imitators of God. What a statement. Be imitators, not of a man, not even of the man, not even of the Son of God. Be imitators of God. Now, I want to just start by getting a bit nerdy on you this evening. <laughs> so, every now and then, it's good to just have a look at some things and I didn't have time to ask Steph this week for a definition, so I had to go back to my good friend Google. Your friend too, that's good. And so 
I googled what it means to imitate. I looked up the Greek and I also googled and the, the things are the same. So to imitate means this. It means to copy or fashion oneself after. To copy or fashion oneself after. And in the Greek, it means the positive imitation that arises from admiring the pattern set by someone. Interesting. And just as I was reading that, like I said, I'm a little bit nerdy. So when I, when I shared this with Tess, she didn't even know what the second word meant or if we even use it in conversation. But it's emulate. Have you guys heard the word emulate? And I thought maybe those two words are the same, but according to Google, they're actually completely different. Listen to this. To emulate, to try and be as good or as successful as someone. I'll read those again. Get your taringas on. <laughs> listen, this is, if you miss this, you'll miss everything. All right, listen, so... To, Im- to imitate, to, to copy or fashion oneself after versus to emulate, to try and be as good or as successful as someone. Now, this thing is pivotal because here in Ephesians 5, we're called to be imitators of God as opposed to emulators of man. What does it mean to be an emulator? This is how me and my brother used to roll growing up. LeBron James passed the basketball, two seconds on the clock, half-court shot, puts it up. Oh, (laughs) to emulate, to try and be as good or as successful as someone. LeBron James, NBA, MVP, three-time award-winning, championship-winning basketball player, two seconds on the clock, emulating the final shot, the finale, and it clanks off the rim. To emulate, to try and... What do we say? To try and be as good or as successful as someone. To try and achieve the outcomes that someone else is achieving to try and achieve the same goals, to try and replicate the same kind of success, to emulate man or to imitate. What does it say? To copy or fashion oneself after. Now, no matter how many times my brother and I on the bottom deck emulated LeBron James, there was no way that we were prepared to imitate that man, the man who gets up at five o'clock every morning to hit the gym, the man who pumps the weights, the man who stays behind at training every day to practice just that technique as he flicks his wrist for the three for the free throw. We were emulators of man, but we didn't have the guts to be imitators, to fashion ourselves after a man who, by his very nature, became one of the greatest basketball players the world's ever seen. So Ephesians chapter 5. Be imitators of God. 
You know, I'm joking around here, but we can emulate man not just in basketball, but in our Christianity and in our walks with God. Wow, Greg, you're such an incredible preacher. I can't, it's, it's just amazing the way that you can stand up and, and preach without words for an hour. Man, the way that you can go and share in Cambodia. Paul, my goodness, the way that you can... <laughs> the way that you can dance... <laughs> I wonder in our walks with God if we can try and emulate man, try and achieve the same goals as man, try and, now hear me when I say this, emulating is not wrong per se, it just misses divine glory because we weren't called to be emulators of another person's actions, we were, ki- we were called to be fashioned and forms into, into the very substance, the nature the divine nature of God himself. And so, what do we have here? The, the fivefold that we've been looking at, we looked at it, Mal shared awesome, uh, an awesome message a couple of weeks ago on the fivefold, and, the, and obviously, as you all know, we looked at it all of last year. In these messages, there's such potential to hear something that's not being communicated because when we share about the apostle and the characteristics of the apostle, the things that the apostle will operate in, or, or the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, if we're hearing that and thinking, man, I wonder which one I am, or um, I really like the apostle, I'm going to try and behave like an apostle would behave. I'm going to try and achieve the same goals that an apostle would achieve. Man... Those evangelists, they're hardcore. I need to get hardcore. I need to get out on the street. I need to start preaching the gospel. And so we emulate behavior and emulate actions, but we miss. And it's so easy to miss what he's saying, to become imitators of God. And so the whole purpose of looking at the fivefold is not that we would emulate man, even if it's a Christian man, even a holy man, but to become imitators imitators, to enter into the very substance of Christ that comes through these gifts operating in their fullness, to become apostolic in heart, to become prophetic in heart, to become pastoral in heart, to become evangelistic in heart, entering into the nature, the character, imitating Christ, being fashioned. You know, in Genesis, Right at the very beginning, God created man in his own image. And he looked out across the whole earth and saw that there was no one suitable to be a helper for this person, Adam. And so instead, God, this is almighty God, all-powerful God, who has just, out of the dirt of the ground, formed with precision a human being who is totally capable of replicating the same thing as a suitable helper, but he doesn't. And he, because he sees something that is higher and greater than making a copy. So he fashions a woman. He takes from the rib 
of Adam, and he fashions and forms a woman that will be a suitable companion. And that word helper isn't just slave where they do the dishes. That would be nice. (laughs) But there's a greater... No more jokes. (laughs) Tess is going a bit red. (laughs) There's a greater glory that God had in store for Adam and for us because Christ wouldn't just see us as someone who would be a replicate, a copy, an emulator, but someone who was fashioned and formed, who was to come into the very nature and substance and life of who he was. And so in here, Paul says, therefore be imitators of God. Be an imitator of God. Don't be an emulator of men. Let me give you an example. I've got a few jotted down here. John 13, 38. Don't worry about flicking there. I'll just paraphrase it. Peter. You know what's coming. (laughs) So Peter, this man who has been walking with Jesus, Jesus has been talking with him about the death that he needs to die. He says, Peter, um, guys, I'm going to the cross. It was predestined before the ages. I'm going there. And Peter, in his desire to be like Christ, says, I will follow you to your death. Next minute, (laughs) Peter, who had the words who had the intention, was found out. Why? Because he was an emulator of the man, Jesus, who said, I'm going to my death. And Peter said, I'm coming with you. He was an emulator of the man. He, what do we say here? He tried to be as good were as successful. He tried to achieve the same goals, the same results, the same outcome without becoming an imitator, without entering into the substance and the life. Now, we know the story. Peter, this man who was full of bravado one moment, we have the privilege of hindsight, looking back and seeing a man who transitioned from emulating one man's behavior, who was broken, who fell upon the rock. Jesus came back to him and he's out fishing. He's living beneath what he's called to and says, hey, come on, let's go. And a couple of chapters later in Acts, he receives this divine power and he becomes an imitator of God, not just in action, but in the very life and substance of Christ formed inside of him. He ends up going to his death, getting, getting crucified upside down, not because he was emulating a man's actions, but because he had entered into the substance and life of that man. Because he had been fashioned and formed in the very likeness of Christ, he had received the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside, and he was forever changed. Awesome, eh? Second example, Matthew 17, you can turn to this one. Matthew 
verse 14. The title is The Demon Act. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill. Man, this Bible is so unpca. <laughs> Imagine coming up to a guy, you lunatic. For he often falls in the fire and into the water. I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long will I put up with you? How long, or how long will I be with you? How long shall I pull up, put up with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind does not come out or go out except by prayer and fasting. Interesting. So the disciples are confronted with this situation where a guy is obviously manifesting a demon. He's a lunatic. And they've been on the road with Jesus. And they think, well, why don't we just give this a go? Give it a hoon. Give it a shot. Give it a try. And so they try and cast this demon out, but they're getting nowhere. And so Jesus says to them, guys, well, the man, he's, he's persistent. He's got faith. He comes to Jesus. He can recognize and see the life and the substance that's coming, coming forth from Jesus that might not have been at this stage in the disciples. And so, he, and so Jesus says to them, they say, sorry, they say, why could we not drive this out? He says, because of the littleness of your faith, because of your inability to see, because you've seen something that was earthly, you've seen an earthly action, but you haven't seen of the heavenly and eternal power that has come from the coming of my kingdom. You haven't seen the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. You haven't entered into the life that I'm in. And so he says, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Now, don't hear that and think, I've got to pray, I've got to fast. Hear the lifestyle of a man, the relationship of a man. Because prayer and fasting isn't, they are not works, they're relational. They're relational, they're things that you do when you are in love with God. And so Jesus, day in, day out, has this relationship with God. He's entered into the true substance in life as his, as his father. And so he's got game. So when he steps up for the half-court shot with two seconds on the buzzer, he's been there before. He knows how to knock that sucker down. And so when the demon is standing right in front of them, he's been in prayer. He's been fasting. He's got the reality of his father on the inside of him. So he just flicks his wrist, and that sucker goes right down. Nothing but net. And so he says, this, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. What's he saying? You only enter into this kind of authority, not by emulating man, 
but by imitating, by fashioning yourself after, by following God. You know, Jesus, he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He doesn't say, come follow me and I've got some fishing for you to do. Come on. He's not talking about fishing. He's talking about being made into someone in whom the Spirit of God would have full and complete possession. And from that posture you'll become a reconciler of men in the same way that you've been reconciled. I think you get the picture. Back to Ephesians. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. As beloved children. Can you be a child and not a beloved child? No, but you can think like one. Listen to this in Galatians chapter 4. I was just apprehended by this on the way into work, listening to my <laughs> dramatized audio, <laughs> audio Bible. And it says this, now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. Excuse me. Now, listen to verse, verse 1. Now I say, as long as an heir is a child, he does not differ from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. So Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children. You can't be an imitator of God unless you have received the love of God. Because um, he's saying here, as long as a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, even though he's the owner of everything. Even though he has eternal glory, even though the kingdom has come, even though the kingdom's at hand, he doesn't differ from a slave even though he's the owner of everything. What's he saying? That you can be a child of God, a beloved child of God, but because of your thinking, you're acting, behaving as a slave and trying to emulate men. You've become, well, Paul says, if I was trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So he's saying here, a slave doesn't differ from a child. You may as well be a slave. You may as well not even know that you're a... He's saying, be imitators of God as beloved children, as children who know and have received, who have entered into the love of the Father. You know, we love because he first loved us. And it's receiving that substance of love within us that changes what nothing else can. If we don't realize we're loved by God, 
we'll try and find our self-worth and our value and our imitation of others. We'll try and conform to the patterns of people. We'll try and fit in. You might even try and fit in here by being holy or godly, but without entering into the holiness and the godliness, which is the substance of Christ within us. You know, that's why in Galatians 4, the scripture we just read, Paul talks about these sons who have been held in bondage under worldly things. Worldly things aren't sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Worldly things are the things in your mind that you try and find value and self-worth in outside of him. So he's saying these people were held in bondage to earthly things until a time came where they were apprehended by the love of God and brought into a quality of relationship with him that would transform them from the inner core. You know, in Ephesians 8, it says that all creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. All of creation is waiting. It's groaning under the weight of its corruption, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed, waiting for the children of God to stop being emulators and to start being imitators. Next verse, back to Ephesians. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. And walk in love. This here is one of the greatest keys. Because so, for so long, the church has thought that being imitators of God looked like replicating the behavior of Jesus, setting up ministries, doing evangelistical campaigns, healing the sick, going to Africa, going to India, going to Cambodia, feeding the poor, all things that are very good and right and okay. But missing the ultimate and most important part of what it means to be an imitator of God. And Paul's telling you right here, walk in love. If you think that you're imitating God, but you're not walking in love, you're not imitating God. At best, you'll be emulating man. Walk in love. I wonder if we were perfectly content to simply walk in love without having to do anything or to achieve any outcome. You know, to emulate is to try and be as good or as successful as someone, is to try and achieve the same goals, is to try to achieve outcomes. I wonder if we could just simply love without any expectations, without any need for success, without any need for an outcome. You know, recently Tess and I were looking to buy a car and we found 
we're um, hustlers. So we looked on, on Trade Me for some real good deals. <laughs> Tess is so good at us hunting for the deals. And we found this really cheap car. It was actually the same as our current car. And so we really liked the model, and it's done us really well. It was going at a really good price. And I turned up and, you know, to buy this car and met the lady. And um, it turns out from the auction, it says that th this lady had gotten into, into trouble with some debt. And the reason why she was selling the car is because she needed to repay this loan, you know. And I assumed that she had just bought a car that was out of her price range and had to pay it back. But turns out she had been helping out a friend who had had to... Tr had to urgently move out into some new house and she had paid the bond and the rent she had to take out a loan for it and she obviously was silly just didn't calculate what would need to happen and she was stuck with this massive loan and was having to sell off all of her possessions to then repay this loan and so I turned up to buy this car and just got chatting with the lady about how she was going and um, you know, found out more details about this loan and the situation that she was in. And it, I just remember it broke my heart. And I remember coming home to Tessa. <laughs> it's not the sort of thing that you normally do, come home from buying a car and end up in tears. <laughs> this lady who was in such debt, and I said, Tess, we've got, to, we've got to do something to help this girl. And so we paid almost twice the amount for the car. And it was a figure that we felt was the right figure to do. And so we you know, went and gave her this money, and it was awesome, you know, and she said, it, it turns out that the, the amount of money was the exact amount of money that she had on this debt to repay, so she was able to be debt-free, and I just remember at the time sitting before the Lord and saying, man, is this to be an opportunity to present the gospel, and I just felt like he said, no, can you just let it be? Can you be, can you be love? without having to have an outcome, especially a Christian outcome, one that we could tell a story about and have someone saved from. But he's saying here that to be an imitator of God is not to achieve a Christian outcome, it's to walk in love. And I wonder if we can become love to such a measure that we can freely give without any kind of expectation of return for ourselves, especially a return that comes back to our own egos and our own reputation. I wonder if we can become love to such an extent that we truly become imitators of God for no motivation other than it's who he is inside of us. Isn't that massive? That's what we're invited to. And so this morning, when I was woken up at 5.40 in the morning by an old friend of mine who was in a tricky situation, um, obviously, he, um, you know, he, he got into a fight and he was drunk. He turned up at our door. The girls were freaking out, thinking it was probably the mongrel mob or something like that. <laughs> Tess had the police dialed into her phone. And so I gave this guy, um, you know, went out to make sure he was okay and um, put him in the car and gave him a ride home. And the first thing that he asked me, he said, he said, are you disappointed in me? See, he's an orphan. He's a slave. That's... He doesn't understand love. And I said to him, I said, why would I be disappointed? I don't need anything from you. Why, why, why would you, are you disappointed in me? No, you can't, you literally can't disappoint me. 
because I'm not emulating God. I'm, I'm not emulating man. I'm imitating God. And I have a life and a love within my heart that I would drop you home every Saturday if I needed to because of not an outcome. See, we have been having conversations about the love of God. We have been having conversations about being born again, about a transformed life, about letting go of the old and entering into the new. And all of a sudden, his behavior wasn't replicating the very thing that he confessed to want to have. And so as an orphan, he thinks, oh, of course they'll be disappointed in me because I'm not achieving the outcomes that they want to see. But the love of God is limitless. There's no end. It abounds. It doesn't look to achieve an outcome. It is what it is, and it can't help being what it is, so it comes out in every situation, not because it needs something, but because it is something, because it's a substance that's within you that changes you. Next scripture. We've got one more positive, then one more negative, and then it's all positive. <laughs> So Acts 5.15, oh, actually, uh, let's go to Acts 5 first. Acts 5. So we're back on track, becoming imitators of God. Now Acts 5 verse 1. I feel like I've calmed down a bit. I'll need to be calm for this section <laughs> because this is intense. All right, let's, let's read it out. So this is, I'll give you a bit of, let me give you a bit of context. So we've, we've transitioned. We've talked about Peter and the disciples as they've tried to emulate God and their behavior and their actions. They've failed. They've fallen upon the rock. They've been broken to pieces. They've come to the point of ultimate and absolute humility. Then 50 days later, they're praying in an upper room and they receive power from on high. They've, them and the 120 people in this community in Acts have become so saturated and transformed by the Holy Spirit. They've become imitators of God. They've received power and substance on the inside to such an extent that they start giving their houses and their possessions they start selling all of their houses and possessions and laying the proceeds at the apostles' feet. So there's a community here in Acts, not just one person, but a whole group of people who have become imitators of God, not just in action, but in the very substance and being of their lives. And so this like momentum is trucking along, and then we hit Acts chapter 5, and the title is The Fate of Ananias and Sapphira. And it says this, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. 
And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard it. The young men got up and carried him and, uh, uh, and covered him. And after carrying him out, they buried him. Man, that is one heck of a weighty scripture. So what's going on in this passage? You have this community who have entered into this posture of imitating God, who have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and are living a life like we have, like had never been seen on the earth before. And then it's interrupted by these two people who are kind of part of this community but slightly on the edge. And they observe the disciples, they observe the people who have been up in this upper room, they observe the actions of those people who were wholehearted and on fire for God. And they thought, oh, they're selling their houses, they're selling their property. I guess we better get up in this trend that's going on, this Christian trend, this tradition, this who knows what motivated it. Maybe their reputation was on the line. And so they thought, well, we've got to kind of follow suit. We've got to somehow keep up. We want to, you know, we we don't want to let our reputation slip. So maybe we could, you know, sell our house too, but if we just kept some of the money for ourselves, then we could have the money and we could have the reputation. And so they emulated the community that they were a part of. And they held back some of the money for themselves. Now, it's my personal conviction that in that time, God was doing such a unique and powerful and apostolic work amongst that community in establishing his intention for the church throughout all ages and generations. That's what we should be as a church living in now today. Things have drifted a little bit from that, but there was a demonstration at the first and at the beginning that couldn't have, that, or that didn't have room for people, um, how do I say, emulating behavior without entering into the life and substance behind it. And so instead of falling on the rock and allowing the conviction of these lives of the people there to bring them to their knees, they thought, we'll have our cake and eat it too. We'll keep up the reputation and the image without entering into the life and the substance, the power that would motivate that kind of behavior. And so as the church of God today, we can do that exact same thing. We'll hear messages from the pulpit. We can see the way that people are living And, allow, and instead of allowing it to convict us and cut us to the quick like it did in Acts, cut us to the heart to try and manufacture some kind of outward action and behavior that replicates without, imitates, uh, without imitating the life, power, and substance that we're to enter into. Interesting, eh? The room's very, very quiet right now. I hope you're just listening. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. 
back to Ephesians. And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and as a sacrifice to God, as a fragrant aroma. Just as Christ, just as, just as, in the same manner, in the same way, in the same pattern, just as Christ. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and as a sacrifice to God, as a fragrant aroma. Now, the reason why this is so important is I feel like we're laying a foundation here in, in Ephesians. We're building towards the ultimate climax that we see here in this book. Does anyone know what the climax, what, what is all of this heading towards? Any takers? Yep, 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 hit the nail on the head. So this mystery that Paul is unpacking, this mystery that's hidden in plain sight is heading towards a climax. He's, he's gearing up here to talk about this mystery of the bride of Christ. A bride, and, and so he goes on, uh, I don't want to ruin it for whoever's going to talk about it, but it says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having not a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. And it goes on. And so the reason why this is so foundationally important is when we get to looking at the bride of Christ, looking at what it means for us to prepare as that bride, we cannot hear through the ears and the lens of emulating Christ. We can't hear about this process where husbands are to love their wives. Why? Because it says this, as Christ loved the church. He's saying this, if you're not divine, then get out of here. You've got no hope. You've got no hope of achieving these goals. You've got no hope of emulating these goals. It requires something of a life that is more than the capacity that you have in and of yourself. So I, I, feel, I feel within myself that I've hammered home the, the one point that I wanted to get across tonight. So I might, we might just leave the last section because I, I feel like this is important just to sit on. But keep this in the back of your minds. Meditate on this. Meditate on this way of operating, this new and living way. This kingdom that's like a mustard seed that when the sower sows produces fruit of 30, 60, 100 fold what was sown. Meditate on the Father. It says, do not worry, little children, 
for there is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so meditate on this kingdom, this life, this substance, this kingdom that's within us, that when it is formed within us, will have us behaving in a certain pattern, in a certain kind of way, that we actually now have game. We're not just trying to shoot hoops from halfway. We can. This is the message of the gospel. This is the power of God. It's death and resurrection. It's the eternal gospel that was in the mouth of this angel who saw, it says in Revelation chapter 3, an eternal gospel flying in mid-heaven. This is the eternal gospel. It's the death and resurrection of Christ. It's the reality of Christ being formed within us. It's Christ within us, the hope of glory. It's the kingdom that has come, that has power to change and transform our hearts and minds. It's the kingdom that takes us from living as Adam to being like Christ. It's the gospel that changes, it transforms, it brings life out of death, and it has been in my life, and it has been in our lives, our community. So take the time to think, to ponder, to meditate on him, what he's doing, and allow him to do this very work within you. Is that cool? So Father, we just thank you that your kingdom is at hand. It's within reach. It's not outside of our um, it's not outside of our grasp. It's right there waiting for us to enter into. So, Father, I pray that we would be found as people who are imitators of Christ, people who take on the very substance of Christ himself and live in such an innate and natural expression of who our King, who our Father, our God is within us. So, Father, we pray that you would do this powerful work within us as your community and that you would build us line upon line, precept upon precept, up in the most holy faith, the faith that was handed down to the saints that has now been made revealed by the apostles, the prophets, for those who are proclaiming this truth and those of the church who are hearing, receiving, maybe for the first time or the hundredth time, but the word that's continuing to do this powerful work within us. So, Father, we pray, have your way and have us as your people, your bride, prepared for your own position. In Jesus' name, amen.